According to the published report, Ms. Kelly told police he watched 18-year-old Damian Eccles and 16-year-old Jason Baldwin brutalize the children with a club and a knife. The report says Ms. Kelly told police Eccles and Baldwin raped one of the boys and sexually mutilated another as part of a cult ritual. Ms. Kelly is quoted as saying he did not take part in the rape and mutilation, but that he helped subdue one victim who tried to escape. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person. And I appreciate you. And I know exactly what you like, all at the same time. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, the zen seeker, the artist, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there's something for everyone on Etsy. A gifting moment is always around the corner. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Gift easy with Gift Mode on Etsy. It appears satanic worship may have played a role in the murders. Since the very beginning of the investigation, people all around West Memphis have come forward with stories of satanic cults. Reverend Tommy Stacy's church is down the street from where the bodies were found. One year ago, Damian Eccles told the church's youth minister he had a pact with the devil and he was going to hell. Hello and welcome to Real Crime Profile. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer on CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Lisa Zambetti, casting director of Criminal Minds, where Jim Clemente is my colleague. And I have a real interest in real crime and the minds that solve those crimes. So there's somebody missing from this table. Well, yeah. <laughs> Laura's back in the UK doing some great stuff with Paladin. And uh, we are going to sort of do a split. 
yeah. episode. Yeah, so I've recorded with Laura. We've talked about a lot of things about this case, and there are lots of things that I want to talk to Jim about. So we're going to cut and paste right it together and dive right in. And, uh, Jim, we talked a lot about Jesse Miskelly's um, confession in the last episode. I just want to pick it up just a, one more time with you because he confessed so many times. It's a real pivot point for people who don't believe in false confessions that why would he after confessing to the police then continue to confess to his lawyer and then recant and then after his trial confess again and I mean his defense attorney would say that he's confessing again after the trial to try to get a lesser sentence and that the prosecutors have gotten to him I mean well yeah there's a whole bunch of reasons but the point is in this case it wasn't multiple confessions it was a false confession that was induced, basically, and then he had to stick to that because otherwise then he'd be called out as a liar. And so what he's trying to do is is be consistent at that point. Once the police get him to, quote, confess without actually drilling down and getting real accurate information. I mean, remember, there was eight times that he was re-asked what time they got together in, out in the, the Robin Hood Hills. Mm-hmm. Eight times before, quote, he got it right. Clearly, those are indicators of a false confession, not a true confession. And instead of drilling down and getting details from him that they didn't know, they only got details from him that they already knew, mm-hmm. which is another indication that it's a false confession. But then when he repeats it, and incorrectly and inaccurately over time, it's again another indication of a false confession. So to say that he confessed a number of times, no. What it was was he... He gets locked into a, quote, confession, and then he tries to support that. His inability to do so doesn't give you, doesn't give credibility to the confession. It actually undermines the credibility of the confession. So for for a lot of people in this case, there are pivot points. There are just things that if you believe it was a satanic ritual, you will never believe that it's not. And then you will believe that these boys are guilty because of their involvement with Satanism or not. Right. Same thing with the autopsy. If you believe that these boys were, were raped, then you will always believe Miss Skelly's okay, well, confession. Let's, let's start with the, the satanic ritual. You can't just create one out of whole cloth. There has to be evidence to support it. So there is no evidence, period. All they had to support it was a false reading of the forensics. In fact, in this case, the only thing that they could point to as a potential uh, indication of some kind of satanic ritual was the fact that one of the boy's body's genitals were mutilated. The fact is, they misread the evidence. In fact, what it was was animal activity post-mortem. That wipes out 100% of their supposed evidence about satanic ritual abuse. So there's nothing to support that. Therefore, it is not a viable theory, period. You can't have a theory and then just run around looking for evidence to support it and then find none of it and still say that's a viable theory. In fact, what you're supposed to do is find the evidence and then build your theories and your investigative avenues based off that. And that's not what they did here. 
I mean, but because they went down that road, there's just an enormous amount of time in the testimony and questioning of Jason Nichols, uh, Jason Baldwin, Damien Nichols, and Justin Miss Kelly about their involvement in satanic cults. I mean, it goes on and right. on and on. But that's and it was separate. a huge distraction. Right. It's a it's a separate issue from right. from this case because again, there's no indication that this case was satanic ritual abuse and murder. Mm. So. The fact that they're doing that, most kids and teens who get involved in this kind of ritualistic abuse, they, they do, you know, minor crimes, graffiti and, and vandalism to churches and cemeteries and things like that, painting pentagrams on walls. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very rarely does it go to actual violence. Yeah. And when it does, the, the satanic ritualistic aspects are very evident in that crime or in those crimes. And they're just not here. Yeah. So the fact that you rustled up three young people who uh, may have, you know, dabbled around in, in the occult or read about it or learned about it or talked about it doesn't mean at all that that's related to this particular crime, especially if they were not actually related to these victims in some way. As we talked about in earlier episodes, the fact that the offender or offenders in this case took the time to conceal the bodies is a strong indicator that, one, they knew the victims, and two, people outside them knew that there was a connection between the victims. And that's why somebody who kills a victim spends the extra time to try to permanently conceal them. Yeah. I want to talk just a little bit about satanic cults in general um in my lay experience i've seen sort of there's a there's a period of time when middle schoolers or high schoolers become fascinated with it and they're either listening to led zeppelin and playing it backwards or pink floyd or or whatever it is and i I remember people learning about alistair crawley and robert plant and on all kinds of things and it was sort of a fascination and almost a thrill to learn about that stuff and i just feel like Human history is full of those periods where where people become very interested in the occult, and it's okay. Uh, but yeah. yeah, but but you said a couple of things there. Mm-hmm. You said satanic cults, mm-hmm. and then you talked about kids who get interested in it, yeah. and those are two very different things. Right. I mean, to me, a satanic cult is a following. Uh, of a charismatic leader who has all sorts of people involved and and they're doing this thing in an organized fashion. But what you're actually describing is kids who get interested in a topic. Maybe they're goth, maybe they're emos, I don't know, and they they kind of go off on that. They want to be Mm -hmm. different and they're following the dark side and all that witchcraft and, and the occult. But that's kids who are interested in a topic. It's not a cult with a following and a, and, and, a, and a strong belief system that would condone violence against others and murdering others and doing, you know, sacrificial things. So I think that's a very different world. And just because kids might be interested in it doesn't mean that they would do anything violent or that they are part of an organized group. One of the things that Damien Eccles says on the stand, returning to... We haven't really talked very much specifically about Damien Nichols, and I want to sort of get your opinion about about his how he comes across his personality and his tics, as you remember it from the 
from the documentaries, but one thing I noticed that uh, the prosecutor called him out for having this line of Shakespeare in his book and uh, a very dark passage of Shakespeare. And, and Damien Nichols says that it's from Midsummer Night's Dream. And it's actually not at all from Midsummer Night's Dream. It's from Macbeth. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterday days lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Okay, so that is a well, very... you just prove that you are a very accomplished Shakespearean actor. I can't believe that you just did that all from memory. Wow. Um, but that's pretty, pretty impressive because I could never do that. But so it's from... Um, yeah, so let me... Let me yeah, what, so is, what play is it from? It's from Macbeth that Shakespeare okay. wrote. Now, he wrote yeah. this for King James. It's called a Jacobean play because King James was obsessed with the occult and okay. witches and goblins and blood and so... All of the playwrights during his reign wrote very bloody, gory things, and that's why this is a very, you know, significant that Macbeth is written this way, too. It's usually called the Scottish play because there's such superstition around this play, Jim. If you do this play, terrible things usually happen, like an actor will break their leg, and there's all kinds of superstitions around that. But I just thought it was funny that that was the quote, and he, you know, I don't know what this says about the West Memphis educational system, but he doesn't even know what play it's from. But, but um, which one didn't know? The prosecutor? Damien didn't know. Damien didn't. He, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. He, so he picked up the quote. Yeah. That whole quote? He had that whole he had quote? A, he had a portion okay, of the quote. Great. But what I'm saying, but, my point is that people have been interested in the occult for as long as there have been humans, you know, walking around. Right. So when this is a phenomenon we've definitely seen, when, when teenagers feel sort of different, in air quotes, uh, they tend to cling to things that are different. You know, they yeah. tend to relate to it. They tend to embrace it. They tend to try to, you know, make that sort of why they're different. You know, they, it adds to the cool of it or something. Mm -hmm. And when you're in that situation, when you're a teenager and you're feeling different and you're feeling, uh, you know, isolated and so forth, it gives you a sense of community. Yeah. And it doesn't mean, I mean, you'd have to look at those people and see what kind of what kind of violent history do they have? Because people don't go at, at the age of 17, 18, 19. They go, don't go from zero to triple homicides. Yeah. They just don't do it. It's something, something has to be. It's a, it's a buildup. That's a huge leap. This is the most violent, heinous crime in the history of this city ever. In history. Yeah. All those years, nothing like this had happened before. Well, Why? And what made it happen? If you look at the facts, if you drill down and you see what most likely happened, the, the way that one victim was seems to have been treated much more violently than the other two, and the way that two of them had drowned, basically. Um, they were probably incapacitated, and they were thought to be dead, and they were thrown in the water, tied up, and they drowned. Now, whether that was just, you know, they were they could have been close to death and so forth, or they could have been, it could have been agonal breathing that got, got the last bits of water into their system and they drown. But whatever it is, the, the fact is that it's, in my mind, if I were to reconstruct this crime, in my mind, the offender was doing something bad to one victim, the other two victims became witnesses, and that's why he ended up killing all three. And I don't think that it's something that 
was planned in advance, especially with those shoelaces and, you know, having to come up with an extra set of shoelaces mm-hmm. to do it, probably the offender's own shoelaces. Um, and I think that there is plenty of evidence to show that this was not a premeditated or ritualistic crime in any way, shape, or form. So now probably the hugest pivot point for people is just the personality of Damien Eccles himself. And, you know, we put off talking about him for quite a long time now because he is such a controversial figure, a character in this case. And if you identify with him, you're more likely to support him and think that he's innocent. But if you look at this kid and you have a gut reaction that you don't like him, you will it will be almost impossible to prove to, for you to think that he's innocent. And I don't think there's any doubt that he was an extremely troubled kid. He served several times he had several stints in a mental hospital. I've looked through all of the notes from all of those stays and if you cherry pick them you can pick one out that says you know he has a violent past and all these problems but if you look at them over the course of his stay they mostly say he's depressed he has suicidal thoughts he's not causing any fights in these mental institutions but he's consistently talking about self-harm um okay so first of all it's very easy to point the finger at somebody who's different than you It's very easy to say, oh, nobody like me could do this. It has to be sort of a monster out there. So if you can find somebody who's different, who's on the fringe, who's involved in or interested in things that are very weird to you, then it's easier for you to say, oh, that person is capable of doing this. And I think that's the phenomenon we're looking at. You know, yeah, he's definitely weird. He definitely presents in a strange way, but that's why... He stood out as a as a great target for this investigation because they were looking for the weird ones, mm. the, the outliers, the ones that didn't fit in. But at the same time, none of those characteristics actually match up with the crime that they were accused of. Not a single one of those characteristics because this is not something that... That would just happen. It just it it doesn't just happen with people who are complete strangers. There's no connection between Damien and these other two guys and the victims, and there's no there, there would be no reason for this to go down. We know now that it was not there was no genital mutilation, so there was absolutely zero basis to think that there was some kind of occult or ritualistic murder here. So there, there's no reason for us to even look at them, the, this, this class of, of potential offender, as an offender in this case, because it, that theory just falls away when, when the evidence is actually viewed in the proper light. So now you have weird kids, you have very low IQ guys, going, you know, being manipulated into sort of testifying against or, or confessing against others. And then you have, you know, people who, who just look at them all askance because, you know, because Damon was weird and he just look at his name. I mean, good Lord, you yeah. know, right away. That sounds like, you know, yeah. the omen. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's just, he wanted to stand out. He did a good job standing out. He felt weird and... He wanted to make it 
look like he was. And that, unfortunately, brought him to the attention of law enforcement. Um, A lot of people who testified against him talked about hearing him confess to the crime very casually going around to softball games and ice skating rinks. And I just wanted to ask you, do you think the person who committed this particular crime would go around the community and put themselves at the, or or make, not make fun uh, of it? Let me tell you two things. One is I think somebody like Damien might have gone around and said things like that because he wants people to think that he's weird and different. He gives him power yes, in a certain way, yeah. Yes, of course, because he had none. And remember he says there's one key part where he said, look, I knew I would be famous, I just yeah. didn't know how. Well, he hoped in his mind that he would be famous. It, well, he didn't know. Yeah. He hoped because he wanted to be bigger than his little worthless life, the way he really <laughs> felt. It's yeah. true. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely true. But on the other hand, when you talk about this crime, And casually going around town and admitting to it? Absolutely not. No way in hell. There is no way that somebody who who brutally murdered three little eight-year-old boys, again, the worst crime in the history of this town ever, before or since, there's never been a crime this heinous, anywhere near this heinous. Whoever did this would know immediately that if they spoke about it, that they would immediately be the, the focal point of investigation. They would immediately be you know, rounded up and arrested and put away for the rest of their lives. Believe me, the person or persons who did this probably did a serious amount of panicking in the immediate minutes and hours right after it happened, and then collected themselves and went about a campaign of misdirection and and they were actually successful in not letting people know that they were the ones that did it. Well, and also didn't the the offender, you know, he tried to hide this crime, or he or they tried to hide the boys. So if you're yeah. going to go to the, the trouble to conceal the crime, then why would you go around admitting to it? Uh, it just, it makes no sense. Those are inconsistent things. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, also hiding the bicycles, the, the, that is not something that, that would be done by anybody who didn't actually have, if either those bikes would have been left in front of that person's house directly leading to that person as a suspect, or the, the, the offender was interacting with those kids on, on the spot and didn't want somebody to not only not find the bo- bodies, they didn't want somebody to, not to find the bikes because then if they found the bikes, then they'd look for the bodies close by. Right. So they had to get rid of the bikes and the bodies. Mm-hmm. And that was something that they, you know, did a halfway decent job of. At least it delayed discovery for a matter of, you know, a number of hours. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. 
And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. He couldn't even get a single detail of the crime right. They would ask him things like, um, well, what time did this happen? He says, 8 o'clock in the morning. Well, they knew that was a lie. They knew it wasn't true because the kids were in school at 8 o'clock in the morning. They didn't care. Baldwin and Miss Kelly were sentenced to life in prison. Eccles was sentenced to die by lethal injection. Well, at the end of the day, they were all convicted, and the second documentary in this series kind of goes through the years immediately afterwards and as they try to get appeals or new hearings. And a a character comes into play, Jim, and his name is Brent Turvey, and I know that you had a very strong reaction to that name. So he comes, you know, the Dan Stidham, the defense attorney for Jesse, who stuck by him all these many years, um comes into contact with Brent um, through the fan club, basically, that pops up about the West Memphis Three. That sounds like Brent. And that's, uh, you know, the, the second documentary, which I think is the least successful of the documentaries, and the filmmakers agree that it is, but it spends a lot of time on the rise of the fan clubs, of the guys, the, 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 the crowdsourcing to try to find new evidence to exonerate them, and they come across Brent, who sits down and, and looks at the autopsies and and thinks that he recognizes bite marks on the faces of the boys. Well, he does recognize bite marks, but mm-hmm. well, here, here's the thing about Brent, and I'll just be 100% upfront. The guy went to school, and immediately after he finished college, he hung out his shingle as if he was a profiler. He then immediately started writing articles saying that the FBI doesn't know what they're talking about, even though... We had 30 or 40 years of experience before that. Um, So he took some classes, so he had an academic understanding of profiling and probably behavioral analysis and probably crime scene reconstruction, but he didn't have any practical experience. And he did misrepresent himself a number of times after that as a seasoned investigator, which he was not. Um, There was one time where he, he literally was on the stand saying that, and it was absolutely false, and they got his him and his testimony thrown out. But he also went out to do an investigation in a, uh, in a case in Alaska, uh, a wealthy family. He convinced them that he knew what he was doing, and um, there was, uh, I think, the father, I'm not sure if the mother was around, uh, but sister was killed, um, and uh, he ends up dating and marrying the other sister, the surviving sister, and she then funds his company, his investigations company. Um, so in the, in the meantime, you know, Turvey writes a textbook about profiling, which, again, is 100% based on his 
what he read in other books. There's nothing that he has done actually investigatively. And he certainly has rejected all the incredible institutional knowledge of the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime, where I worked in the Behavioral Analysis Unit. And it's just, he, he, he's a fraud. And that's all I'll say. He's a fraud. So the fact that he did recognize bite marks, but he recognized them as human bite marks when, in fact, they were turtle bite marks. So that, again, goes to his lack of experience. He's not a pathologist. He's not a medical examiner. He's not a doctor. He's not an odontologist. But he swore that they were human bite marks. Yeah. Not true. Absolutely not true. And, of course, those bite marks didn't match any of the suspects because they weren't human bite marks. And um, I know when John Douglas looked at the case, he immediately recognized that those were animal artifacts and that, that they were put in a stream that was filled with snapping turtles, and everybody in the area knew that. And it's the time of year when they're snapping. So uh, it was not unusual for that kind of artifact to be left on a body that would be put in water. And so uh, it's just the whole Brent Turvey of it. It's, it's a shame that they didn't actually get to John Douglas sooner, mm-hmm. but once they did, John did a professional job, analyzed the case, totally realized that this was not a, at all a satanic or ritualistic or occult crime, that it was more like a personal cause, homicide, um, and that there's a very strong probability that the person or persons who killed these kids were close and known to those kids. And in addition to John Douglas, do you know who Dr. Michael Bodden is? Of course. Yeah. Oh, okay. Can you talk about him? He was one. He was another um, expert that was brought in later. This is really in the third documentary to, you know, re-examine the evidence. And some of the, the haters of these teens say, well, these these guys were all bought off by, you know, celebrities and Dr. Vernish. Spitz was also... Yeah, well, I know Dr. Spitz, and I know Michael Bodden, and both of them are very respected medical examiners, and Spitz is the most experienced medical examiner in the world, actually, and uh, Bodden is not far behind. Uh, They don't agree on every case, Mm -hmm. um, but they agree on this case, and to say that they were bought off, it's just Asinine. That's just obviously people who don't know them. I know them personally. They're not going to be bought off. Mm-hmm. I think they will do everything they can to make sure that whatever evidence they have is reviewed and they have a strong scientific basis for their opinions. Otherwise, they'll be ridiculed out of the business. And they haven't been after many decades each. Yeah. You know, Jim and I, as you know, we work in Hollywood and we're around celebrities all the time. And so, you know, the fact that Eddie Vedder and Johnny Depp and whoever else, you know, were supporters of of the three teens, you know, that for me that I don't care about that. You know, that's not something I, well, you know. It's good and only in the point that they can they can bring light to this. They can they can shed light on what's going on. But their opinions are are not really weighty. In, in other words, yeah, they can, they can shine a light on it and get everybody to know and be aware and all that. But you should go to the experts to find out what actually happened. Yeah. Not, not the stars, not the Chris Ruddies, 
but the people who actually work these investigations, the people who actually have the skills, who have the medical degrees and tens of thousands of cases under their belt so that they can actually accurately interpret the forensic evidence and behavioral evidence. I mean, I did swoon when I saw Bob Ruff at CrimeCon, but that's about as far as <laughs> my celebrity worship will go. Okay, but <laughs> Bob Ruff isn't going to be um, uh, making, you know, determinations that he'll ask a yeah. medical examiner, he'll ask a profiler, he'll do, you know, and he's, I, I will have to say, he's come a long way in terms of, you know, his behavioral assessments and so forth, and I think um, apparently he's agreed with me on a lot of stuff, um, you know, both before and after he's talked to me about cases. So I think he's a very skilled investigator. And like I would, I would always go to an expert in an area that I'm not an expert in. This, But did you recently hear about that case that these people were exonerated with new DNA evidence and the police had gotten them to confess because they dreamed that they did the murder? Well, That one they of suggested the, that? Do you know about yeah, that case? Yeah, one of the very... Uh, iffy and not at all reliable ways that some cops get confessions is that where they say they take somebody who's you know lower IQ or a drug addict or an alcoholic or um, somebody who's had you know issues with passing out or something and they say you know well clearly you could have you could have passed out and or you could have been under the influence and you could have been drunk and you just don't remember and you know maybe you should think back about it you know like what how would it have happened in your mind or how could it have happened in your mind and you know maybe you know maybe you 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 have this memory in there and it seems like a dream but it could actually be real and so you know people like Amanda Knox went along with it and said, yeah, I have this foggy kind of memory because she felt pressured. She felt, um, uh, you know, threatened. She felt like she needed to get away. And the only way that she thought that she would be able to get away from these people is to sort of give them what they were definitely asking her for, which was rat out your boss, rat out your boss. We know you did it with him. We know he was there. We know, we know, we know. Say this, smack her in the head. Say this, you know, over and over and over again. Team after team after team of of investigator, interrogators coming at her for hour after hour after hour. And eventually she said, I have this foggy memory. Um, sort of a dreamlike state. But as soon as the pressure was taken off, she wrote a note don't pay attention to anything I said before because it was so foggy. It wasn't really real. I'm not, I'm not relying on that as truth. So a couple of things that you mentioned that made me think. So I've been thinking that Amanda Knox and Damien Eccles are very similar in that they inspire extreme reactions, two totally different extreme reactions from people who see them and, and take in their personality yeah, you know well, it's, it's interesting I think, yeah but I think Amanda Knox gets that because the prosecutor had painted her that way mm-hmm. and then specifically set out to undermine her by tricking her and doing things that were you know heinous that 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 were just absolutely outrageous you know Telling her she had this disease, and and then she had to disclose everything she, every, everybody she ever had sex with, and and then using that to say that she was, 
you know, loose and a, and a slut and basically painting her in a very bad p- way publicly and then specifically taking a, uh, aside a very tabloid, unscrupulous, quote, journalist and giving him all this information and constantly feeding right. all this negative stuff so that people believed it because they saw it in print and they saw the prosecutor saying this stuff. So they said, oh, she must be horrible. So now that's planted on her mind. But if you look at her, if you talk to her, she's just an average average person. She's not an extreme you know, outlier like Damien Eccles was. Mm-hmm. She's a, a person who you know, grew up and was engaged in, you know, in, in sports and in, in their family and in the community. And, you know, it wasn't until after she got thrown in jail for a number of years wrongfully and was treated horrifically that she became a little bit more, you know, sort of reserved and quirky. But she's still like light years away from Damien yeah. because he deliberately attempted to separate himself by being different. Yeah. Probably because he felt different. Do you remember seeing him on screen for the first time? Do you do you remember? The first time I saw him was in person, uh, at a screening yeah. of of the the uh, West of Memphis. West of Memphis mm-hmm. documentary, and um, you know he had he had cleaned himself up quite a bit. Yeah. Um, he was still very reserved and sort of. I wouldn't say antisocial, but I would say painfully um, guarded. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you have to believe that the time in prison has an effect on you. Yeah. Not knowing whether you're going to live or die, um, and I'm sure that he did not have a good experience in prison. Yeah. Um, so, so that was the first time I saw him, and then you know, shortly thereafter, I saw him on the screen, you know, and it, it went back and, you know, it sort of showed all the historic videos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he just seemed like, you know, your average goth or emo, mm. you know, yeah. nothing too extreme to me. Maybe for West Memphis, it was extreme, but not for somebody who grew up in New York City or who currently lived in L.A., because that's just, it's not that rare. Yeah. Well, you know, my job is to watch behavior kind of like what you used to do. I watch human behavior and I look I at people. Do. I know. Yes, I know you do. Um, I do that all day long. I look at people under a microscope through a camera. And so when I was watching him, I was really, to be honest, I was completely fascinated with just the way he held his cigarette. It was very different than Dramatic. anybody else. Yeah, and it was almost European, you know, and the way that he spoke. And now, listen, he's not a classically handsome person. He's got jack teeth and his his features are sort of um, off kilter. Hey, he's let's not, not be a hater. No, no, no. But I'm saying that, you know, a com- he doesn't have a commercial, you right. know, square jaw. But there is something about him that does make you lean in. And I just found that so fascinating. He had almost like a, a sophistication about him that seemed out of place in, in where, and he did seem like some, he'd been through some shit, you know, yeah. I don't know if it's his stays in the mental hospital or what, um, which doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean he's guilty. It doesn't mean he's innocent, but I can, I just found him as a character interesting. He had a weird tick in his speech where he'd be like this, um, almost like a sling blade. Uh, I, I just found like if yeah. I were an actor to play him, there would be so many things yeah. that you could, you know, work on and do. 
Um, I don't know why I, I brought that up, but it's just something I've been thinking about. And then the change in him when you see him, you know, five or eight years later in the second documentary and in the third documentary, how he's constantly evolving and changing. You mean like growing up and not feeling as, um, you know... Well, I think he got educated in prison. It looks like he, you know, he started reading lots of books and he became more self-aware of who he had been and had a perspective on why he was a narcissist and why he said, "I'm the West Memphis boogeyman." I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, but it it was his claim to fame. Remember, I yeah. mean, small town, and and all of a sudden everything changed. Everything changed. He's yeah. he's now the center of attention. Um, and he probably thought he was not going to get convicted because he didn't do it. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, he was loving the limelight. It makes me hesitate about even talking about him or Jason Baldwin or Jesse Miskelly because it's such a distraction from the the real vic- you know the victims. And the more in focus you put the teens, the less in focus you think about the little boys. So I don't know. I had some reservations about talking about them at all, but you can't not talk about them. You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. PetMed's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including Nexgard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. I was the closest thing he could come to conceiving of what he thought a Satanist would look like. All black was the only thing I ever wore. Ridiculous hairstyles. I was a stupid teenager. I really was a smart ass. Damien, you didn't help yourself too much. Oh, I didn't help myself at all. One more thing I want to show you, you kind of, we almost brought this up earlier, but it's this is the questionnaire that the, the police gave to Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin before they were arrested. And this is something that they used, the FBI, the BAU, they used a guide on how to interpret the results. Yeah, so I want you are, to look at these questions yeah, and see These are see some what questions you- that are, some of them are indicator questions that we use to um, sort of throw off somebody who is lying. In other words, these are questions that, that you wouldn't necessarily expect somebody to ask you. So, for example, did you know the boys? No. It's very straightforward. What should happen to someone who did this? And he he, he wrote death penalty. And that's an indicator that he did not do it. Because typically offenders, when they get that question, they'll think, well, if I write death penalty, then that's what they're going to do to me. So I don't want to do that. So I got to say something that's appropriate, but not that extreme. So they don't go. That's very definitive. Is there anything else in that answer? No. And they gave the same questionnaire to Jason, and it looks like he's kind of just tag-teaming the same answers. They gave them to them together at the same time. Well, well, that was ignorant. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the next thing, should they have a second chance, they didn't answer it, apparently. 
um, why should some why would somebody do do this? And he said thrill kill. So he's coming up with a possibility. Um, he didn't avoid it. He didn't say he didn't say. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, you know, they could have had reasons. You know, it's not thrill kill is not a a mitigating answer. And so again, indicator that he is not the offender. Who do you think did this and why? Don't know. That's normal. Could it have been an accident? No. Why? Because at that point they had been reporting that these kids were, you know, raped and killed and tortured and yeah. everything. Um, did you did you or do you know who did this? No. Definitive answer, not um, I wouldn't do it. That would be a protest. This is a definitive no. Seven, polygraph. Do you think a polygraph... Is accurate. Not accurate. Okay. Do you, do you think it's accurate, by the way? An accurate, a polygraph is not accurate. A polygraph is a tool. There's no accurate or inaccurate. Somebody's reading it. Somebody's read of a polygraph can be accurate or inaccurate. But it's a tool. It's an investigative tool. It's actually an interview tool. It's to get... It's so you... Ask that person questions and use the polygraph to say, oh, I, it's t- it knows you're lying. So you challenge that person over and over again. And if they're actually, they have a, a sense of morals or something, it can actually work. Um, Would you take a polygraph? No. All right. Somebody who might be guilty might say, yeah, I would, but then later bag out of it. How do you think they died? Cut up because that was in the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, Do you believe in God or the devil? God, no. Devil, no. So is that a normal question that you would see in an interview? No, it's probably written specifically for them. Right. That's what we tell them to do. I mean, you tailor Mm -hmm. these questions Mm -hmm. to the person. How do you think it would feel to kill or watch someone die? Um, Sorry and scared. Scary and scared. Oh, I thought it said sorry. Where were you Wednesday, 5, five ninety three between 6 and 10 p.m.? And he says with his parents. So a lot of people make a lot out of that these boys did not have ironclad alibis. They were a little Swiss cheesy about who they were with and where they were. When were the question? When was, what's the date of the questionnaire and the answers? This is the 9th. And so that was four days later. Mm-hmm. All right, so he said, with my parents. What's wrong with that? That's not, that's not a bad answer. Thirteen. How does being questioned make you feel? Doesn't bother me. Which is uh, somebody who is innocent typically believes that a thorough investigation will exonerate them. So it wouldn't bother the innocent. How do you think the person who did Pe- this... Wait, sorry. people who are guilty are typically more concerned about why are you asking me because they're trying to get the limelight off of them so again there isn't a single question here that i'd say definitively points to the guilt and there are many of these answers that point towards innocence how do you think the person who did this feels they liked it happy this was a this was made a big deal of um in the trial that he said that why why was it made a big deal of? Because he said that the per- that he somehow knew that the person who did no, this liked it. No, somehow knew. How yeah. do you think? It says think, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think? That's what he thought. 
he thinks that somebody who's sick enough to do this would be happy about it. That's not a bad answer to me. I would never have said, that's a horrible answer. Okay, 15, are you a hunter, fish camping? No. That's because they thought at the time that they were cut up and stuff, and there were knives involved, but there was no knife involved. What kind of vehicle do you have? None. Do you own a gun? No. Do you own a hunting knife or any type of knife? None of these are really behavioral. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to kill someone? 19. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you think that, do you think that if he did kill someone, he'd, he'd admit to that? Okay. 20. Are you familiar with Turtle Hills? No. Are you familiar with Robin Hood Hills? Yes. And that's where they were found. Okay. 22. Have you ever been sexually or mentally abused? 22. No. But sister was sexually abused by stepfather. Okay. Wow, that's a big thing to say. Uh, 23, do you at present do you at present have a relationship? 23, yes. I feel like I need to say something about 22. Okay. That question appears to be based on a myth that if they were sexually abused that they would then sexually assault others. And you know, that's that's very old school and should not have been in there because it's just, it's not true. There's just no direct correlation there, but. Okay. 24, your parents alive? Yes. Are you on medication, uh, medical doctor, mental patient? And he says, yes, he's a manic depressive. He's on imipromine and he lists who his therapist is. Okay. Is there anything significant about, um, being on any of these medications, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, the question is okay. The answer mm-hmm. is seems honest. He's not hiding it. Have you ever experimented with controlled substances? He breathed gasoline. Okay, that's that's mm-hmm. a cheap high for you know people who don't have any money. Do you believe in white or black magic? So here we get into that. Uh, no and no. Do you have your own? Do you, do you have or own a Bible? When he was younger and 29, why would your fingerprint be at the scene? All right. 29. And he said no. He says no. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is an indicator question. And it's meant to say to if you're guilty and somebody asks you, why would your fingerprint be at the scene? Then you might think, oh, my God. My finger, they found my fingerprint. Therefore, I have to come up with a justification. And he just says, no, it wouldn't be at the scene. So, I don't, you know, again, that's completely legit answer. The other answers are are cut off in this scan, but the the other questions are we've interviewed a lot of people. The pieces are falling together quickly. Is there something you should tell us? 31, have you discussed this with anyone? And the last question why would your prints be in the area? Right. These are, so those are all like legit questions that, um, you know, except for, you know, I mean, the sexual victimization one is just ill-advised and old school. Um, but everything else seems like something that we would we would throw in a, in a questionnaire. And uh, but none of the answers stand out. The only thing, you know, where he says that he did think about um, what it would be like to kill someone. Um, to me, that is not an answer that's going to be given by somebody who's guilty. You, you wouldn't you wouldn't imply that you could have done this by doing that. But 
if you thought, you know, well, I'm going to tell the truth, and I had thought about what it would be like, it sounds like honesty to me. Right. So it's, I think it's pretty clear that in your opinion, you don't think these teens are guilty. I think in my opinion, I don't think based on what they were, the evidence they were convicted of, it, just nothing has convinced me yet. I, you know, I believe the worst in everybody. So could they still be guilty? I'm, I have an open mind that, sure. But so far, I have not been convinced. Yeah, but, you yeah, know? but guilt is not about having an open mind. Guilt is about having evidence to prove it. Yeah. You can't say somebody's guilty just because you don't know one way or the other whether they did it. Yeah. The fact is, they should not have been convicted if there was no evidence to prove it. They should not have been convicted based on false interpretation of, of forensic evidence. They shouldn't have been convicted based on false interpretation of, of autopsy results. And I know that even if we talk about when the defense attorney d- recorded that call with the uh, ME, mm-hmm. he asked him whether or not he had told the ME had reported to the prosecutor that there was evidence that the three boys were sexually victimized. That the ME said, no, I, I didn't say that. I said there was no evidence that there were. There was some anal dilation that he said could have come from three different possibilities, one of which was simply being in the water for that period of time, and that there was no tears or any other indication that there was actually a sexual assault. And in the absence of any evidence of a sexual assault, you can't determine that there was a sexual assault. You can just say there's no evidence of one, and then you can make a determination whether or not that it would be likely that there would have been had there been sexual assault. So so the fact that there is no evidence of a sexual assault means that you have to conclude that, that it's inconclusive and there's no indicator that it was there. Therefore, no evidence of a sexual assault. Well, before we sign off, Jim, do you have any recs that we should let people know about? Um... Just two podcasts. One is uh, The Menina Files. What's that? It's um, Detective Menina uh, and her cases that she worked. She's really incredibly insightful and um, dedicated homicide investigator from Indianapolis that I met during CrimeCon. And, of course, Best Case, Worst Case. That's right. uh, Yeah. That I do with Francie Hakes. and, And, of course... The show Manhunt, the Unabomber, which will be released on uh, August 1st on Discovery. And hopefully uh, everybody will enjoy that series. Uh, it's an eight-episode series about Jim Fitzgerald and his hunt for the Unabomber. So hopefully you'll tune in and check that out. Thank you very much. Yeah, wait, wait, I have one. Okay. So sorry. I want to do a shout-out to a friend of Jim and mine who used to be a producer on Criminal Minds. Janine Barois. Anyway, she has a new show called Claws that's on TNT, which is, it's just a great show, fast-paced. It's about this crazy nail salon and a, and a murder and all these things that happen, and it's just a great ride, so I really suggest that you check out Claws. C-L-A-W-S, like Jaws, not like Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah I hear it's pretty edgy. It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. All right, well, all right. thank you for listening. So if you enjoy our podcast and would like to support us, there are a couple of important things you can do. First, you can go over to iTunes and give us a positive five-star review. You can check out our sponsors and take advantage of the special promotions for Real Crime Profile listeners. 
You can go over and like our Facebook page and you can follow us on Twitter. But most importantly, you can share our podcast with friends, family and anyone you know would be interested in real crime and the minds that solve those crimes. So thank you for listening. Real Crime Profile is produced and edited by Paul Francis Sullivan. Sound engineered by Terrell Parham. Music composed by Simba Zumba. Logo art by Jim Clementi. Real Crime Profile is produced by XG Productions and distributed by Wondery. For advice and support if you're experiencing stalking in the UK, you can contact Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service on 0203 866 4107 or you can go on the website www.paladinservice.co.uk. If you're experiencing domestic violence, call the National Domestic Violence Helpline free phone 0800 2000 247. In the U.S., if you're experiencing domestic abuse and need advice, safety, shelter or counselling, call Genesis, the 24-hour hotline, 214-946-4357 or go on their website, www.genesisshelter.org or the domestic violence hotline on 800-799-7233. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Ding! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. Classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. (laughs) Judy Justice, only on Freebie.